Hey, Paul. Hey, man. Welcome back to the show. Hey, it's really good to be here. Thanks for having me back. Dude, it's fantastic having you back on the show. Thanks for all the work that you've been putting in with the production and the music. And I've been getting so much good feedback about it. And I just want everyone to know that I did not run out of guests. I'm having you back here because it feels really important to have you here today. I've been feeling that too. I've been feeling like this was going to be an important one for me to be a part of. So thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I can't wait for people to hear your story. Today is the sixth episode of the Gumcast. We are going to be talking about bullies, some, some, something that we have all experienced. And it's a very interesting topic to delve into. And I can't wait for people to hear your story that you've told me before about bullies. Dude, what are you doing? Well, dude, um, I'm doing what every good show producer does. I'm taking over the studio. What what the fuck, Paul? Like we we gotta play the intro song. This is how it works. Like we play the intro song, and then and then the guest is the one that shares the story. Yeah, I know. Play the intro song. The guest shares the story, but not anymore. But uh, I think it's time for you to be in the hot seat this time. The tables have been officially turned, and dude, why do you think why do you think I even started a show? Like I want to be the one asking the questions. That's why I've put in a lot of work. You can't just take over my show that way. Get ready with your story. Cue the music. Damn it, Paul! If that's what it takes, I'll share my story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Gumcast. I'm your host, Paul Kist. And today we have a very special guest with us, Omar Shekhar. We are so glad that you chose to come to the show and share some of your stories. So we know in chapter six, Muscat um, has this encounter with uh, his, his like arch rival or his arch enemy, this guy, Omari, who's been sort of intimidating him for a long time. And then he has this fateful encounter in, in school later that day. And so I understand that you have a similar story of your own, which is why you wrote into the story. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us your experience with, uh, with bullies? Challenge accepted, Paulkist. I'm actually really glad you asked me this question because this story in the chapter, both chapters six and seven, are based on a childhood memory that I tried to erase. And now that I'm in this hot seat, I feel like I have to share with the audience, uh, which is terrifying. So thanks for giving me a taste of my own medicine, like it feels very intimidating, but um, I have no option now. So must have been 12 or 13 years old. I think it was grade seven, if my math is correct. And it was lunchtime and we had just taken a break from class. And I'm walking out onto the soccer field, looking around, seeing how I'm going to spend those beautiful 30 minutes of break. And this little kid, he was little in terms of size. He, so imagine this short kid that's also slim and had had the, the spiky hair the, that was really in fashion. And he was around the really popular dudes at school. So, you know, they've all like tried everything that I haven't even tried at, at 33. And they, they were already done with exploring everything in the world. So they were just like these, these big kids that... Uh, walked around and had their kind of way at school. And I, I never felt like I'm at peace because they were always walking around and you never knew what they're gonna do. And there was this one kid specifically 
who happened to be the tiniest one of them all. And he walked around with the, the spiky hair that no one else was bold enough to, to have a haircut that way. And he had this, I remember him having like these canines, like these really prominent canines that made, made his smile look more like a grimace. And so you never knew really whether he was laughing or smiling, uh, laughing or, uh, or kind of being intimidating. I never knew what it was. I knew that there was something that was scary about him. But that day, I really knew what was going on with him, or at least I got to experience it. Because during that first minute, it literally hadn't been a couple of minutes into the break. And that kid just came up to me, grabbed me by the shirt from both shoulders, and just smashed his knee straight into my balls, like unannounced, uninvited, and certainly was not provoked in any way. I tried to avoid that guy like the plague and he just went straight for the groin. And I was feeling really helpless because I did not want to cause a scene. That was my first instinct because this guy just attacked me. And I felt like if I cried or if I created any kind of scene, it would be, it would make matters worse. And so the only thing I wanted to do at that point was to suck it up. And I remember falling on the ground and just kind of like feeling dizzy, but I was like really silent. So I was just like, <sighs> and what was weird is that he didn't feel like he did anything that was out of the ordinary. It's like, you think he kicked a kid in the ball in the beginning of every break. I was just his victim then. He, so he continued moving and I was there on the ground in a place where there was a lot of kids around me, but I wasn't really asking for help or I wasn't really screaming. And so people just kept walking. And it was, I remember it being very bizarre that I'm in, in this intense feeling of suffering, but I wasn't really able to express it. I was more afraid of expressing it than, uh, than anything. And so I certainly felt both the physical pain and the psychological pain in that moment. Uh, and I felt really, I felt, I felt very rejected, I feel, by both the bully and the people around me. And I remember, you know, I mustered the courage ultimately to get myself into the bathroom. And I, and I walk into one of the stalls and I look down there and both like my, my ball and my, my right ball specifically and my penis were, were bruised. And like, I hadn't seen them that color of blue before. And, um, I was really scared at that moment. I was terrified. I, I, and the, the, the feeling of loneliness turned into a feeling of dread, I feel, because I was, you know, so I started getting thoughts of, because of course, like I hadn't had uh, sex or, or, or experienced anything sexual really at that age. And, um, and I started wondering if I would ever be able to have any sexual experiences and I started feeling like well maybe things down there aren't going to work anymore and it was one of the most emasculating experiences of my life because I felt that I'm a helpless which I didn't feel like I can do anything about in that moment and b it's like my my, my fucking balls you know it's like my my actual and my actual penis is bruised like it's it's like my 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 male genitals are damaged and it was such a feeling of hopelessness and shame that i was not prepared in any way to face in that moment and i remember just 
staying in that stall for for a very long time way after like the 30 minutes had ended just so that I can have the energy to get up again and move around and I remember like walking back to the classroom with you know my like it's like my tail between my legs and boiling with anger but still in a lot of pain like I remember being in pain for for like the next two days or so and being very afraid to tell anyone too so I think there was something boiling inside me because I wasn't able to vent out I was too ashamed to tell anyone what had just happened and it was it was really like a, a shock to my whole system. I remember going back home and then because I was worried, you know, my dad's a doctor, so I felt like I had to show him and like ask him if I was all right or not. And so I remember he was the only one that I actually told, and, but it was still like a really shameful experience to even tell him and 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 have him like, you know, check me and uh, luckily he said you know, I remember he said, you're going to be okay. There's nothing wrong. You're going to be fine. But then he wanted to know who did it. And I remember making up a story about how it happened because I didn't want my dad to interject at all. I didn't want to be the kid that told his parents because he couldn't get his his like power back. And I thought I thought it would be, it would probably be like in my head at the, back then would be like the only thing that's worse than what happened already is, is that my dad would be the one that regains the, the peace or restores this unjust thing that just happened to me. And so I was really angry. I was, I was still in a lot of pain, uh, but I was uh, afraid to ask for help more than anything. I had, to, I made, made up a story about um, being in the gym and like, I don't remember exactly what I told him. I think it had to do with soccer, but I, you know, told him that it's it's an accident basically, and that there's nothing for him to worry about, and it's going to be fine. I just want to pause here for a second. First of all, uh, thank you so much for sharing that, dude. Um, bullying stories are very near and dear to just men everywhere. Boys grow up, and each of us have had some version of a bullying story. So everything you shared is like super relatable. And and by the way, your story in particular is r- relatable to me in eerily similar ways in the different things that you've shared, like what happened, how you dealt with it. And so it it shows I guess a lot of courage that you were able to, you know, share the story with your audience today because it is an act of power to be able to share a story about like like this. So what I'm just curious what brought you from a place of this is something that needed to be hidden, even from your own dad, to you know, sharing it with your audience on the World Wide Web. Well, don't get me wrong. It's still really terrifying. And I can't believe I just shared the story. But I think there is a lot of empowerment in, in, in seeing how things intimidated us and growing from there to perhaps you know, help others that might be going through this, which is, which is my intention with this whole show. That's, of course, until you took it over. I don't, I don't know what this show is about anymore. But there is another interesting reason why I'm kind of excited to share the story. And it's because it actually had a great revenge sequel to it that I kind of feel proud of sharing. And so it doesn't just end there. I just want to have a few questions before we get into this part of the story, because I'm still really intrigued about your experience especially immediately after because those you know those first few moments after situation like that can like change someone's world and i think about my own experiences with bullies and 
like whatever I thought about the world was different. So I'm curious, you know, for you, what were you learning about yourself, the world around you in those moments, hours, days after this incident? Well, I think, you know, I learned a lot about this incident reflecting on it over the years, but in, in the immediate aftermath of that day, uh, the, so the next three days, I remember uh, a sense of uh, un, unjust, like life is, life is not fair, and being really angry at how there, there is like a, this imbalance in the world and why this kid had this like fortified group of people that, you know, walked around with him in school and, and why was I a guy that could just get hit in the balls and fall on the ground and have no one even ask him if he's okay. So I remember feeling really angry at the world and that, I, that no one has my back was the story that I was telling myself, even though I come to think about it, wasn't really asking for anyone's help because I was also afraid of that. Hmm. So I was stuck between a rock and a hard place for sure. The next like day or, or like weeks even. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Again, something that uh, is very relatable too, in terms of what any of us could conclude after an experience like that about the nature of the way life goes. And so I, I'm wondering, did your world continue to remain unjust? How, do, like, what did you do with this newfound information or this idea is that maybe the world isn't as safe as you thought it was? My immediate reaction back then was to avoid the world. And so I remember, you know, very, very much like Muscat, sitting in my room for a very long time um, and thinking that, you know, this world is unjust and therefore I want nothing from it. And, um, and I didn't think I would have the power to get back at the guy ever. I felt like I was just going to be stuck with this shame because there's no way that I would be able to get back at him and therefore the world is fucked up and I want nothing to do with it. And I think that might have, along with other events, really uh, created this worldview where I, I am separate from the world. And I there's a bunch of like evil out there that I want nothing to do with. And therefore I would rather like isolate, you know, and keep this pain inside. Um, and that's how I kind of integrated it. So it was more of like inwardly and and, um, and avoidance and certainly avoidance of him. Like I remember I would be in the next few days and, and like weeks in school, I would see him walking around and all these feelings would pop up uh, and I would just want to avoid like the whole school if I can in order to not feel these feelings anymore because I didn't know what to do with them. But then something happens. You end up actually getting revenge on this guy. Tell 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 us about that shift. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm really glad you asked because this is the part of the story that I love telling. And I think what's really interesting about it is that I did not expect to get that revenge because I was avoiding this guy in any way possible because I knew that I didn't have the strength or the clout to really be able to inflict any kind of damage that might feel justified in my mind without having serious repercussions and consequences that were even worse than what happened in the first place. So there was a very logical part of me that was telling me, 
you don't mess with this guy, you know, like just keep avoiding him. Survival. <laughs> Survival yeah. in the playground. It's it's a very real thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that was my mindset for for two weeks. And then one day we were playing soccer and it was the last class of the day, I remember. So we used to finish school at four. So this was the last class. We happened to be on opposing teams. He happened to be the goalkeeper. I happened to ha- to get the ball in a place where I was able to be like one-on-one with him. And, and so I found myself dribbling the ball and he's, he's standing goalie and there's nothing between me and him. And I'm like sprinting right at him. It's funny because I remember my intention being like score a goal. You know, that was that was more important than anything, at least again in my logical brain, that's also telling me to avoid him. But what happened was like really supernatural almost because I found myself kicking the ball from a distance that had to be 10 meters or so. Seeing the ball go straight from my foot into like this long distance, curving a little bit and then like smashing the kid straight into the groin, like straight into his balls, like it's like it's like bullseye, you know, or bulls balls. <laughs> uh, and 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 I just, you know, think back of that. And sometimes I even think, uh, did I create this memory out of all the pain? That's how bizarre it was, because I wasn't like a particularly good soccer. I was a right player, but I wasn't like a particularly good long shooter, like out of out of 10 shots that I would take, maybe like eight would go wide and and one would be on target and then maybe I'd score one. But that was like one shot that I had and it felt like there was some kind of, it was almost like I was possessed, Paul. Like it was like, it was like something that was like a higher power of like Captain Megid, for those who, who know what I'm talking about, like this, this anime where he would, you know, time would stop before he would score the goal and he would like, say like some kind of mantra is like this Japanese anime where where like, you know, before he would shoot the the, the, the ball, the sky would open up and, and, and the ball would start taking weird shapes. And sometimes it would, it would become a fireball or sometimes it would become like, you know, uh, like it was like Dragon Ball Z kind of thing. And and he would, it would all be like this, this magical shot that would like, you know, d- destroy the whole goal or something. And it felt like one of these moments that I would watch in cartoons where the ball just left my foot and went straight into his balls and 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 I saw him collapse and the ball falling short and then everyone started running around him and I was just so terrified in that moment I'm like you know both terrified and really excited I'm like I I I just did this you know I did this but then it was like I tapped into my reptilian brain or something and then and then I, my logical brain was coming back slowly after all the adrenaline and be like what the fuck did you just do man do you understand what you just did and i remember being like yeah both terrified and and excited and kind of happy but not really being able to be happy and because of all the 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 fear of what was about to come that is a magical story man like seriously as someone who's like hearing the story as like an outsider, um, I'm responding in the same way I, I respond to any film I've ever watched about revenge, where the the hero 
finally like gets their vindication and the enemy has what's coming to them where yeah you're like on behalf of anyone who's ever been bullied you are our fucking hero right now because you're you like you went and you did this thing and and you know i'm i'm cheering for you on behalf of your younger self um but i imagine you know in the moment it's probably not as celebratory and you mentioned these complicated feelings that that came up afterwards thank you for that but uh, i gotta be honest too like what followed was not the most heroic thing which was just let's run as fast as we can to get away from this situation. So what happened immediately after was that he started emerging from the crowds with one hand on his groin and another hand like, you know, reaching out to me and like his eyes dead set on me and he started chasing me. And so I started running and I remember it was like two soccer fields. So I was in, the, we we're in the further one and he chased me across like the whole one. And, um, and I, and I, when we got closer to a friend of his that was drinking from water fountain and, and he was like, I remember him like shouting his name, you know, and a friend's name, his friend's name was Galwash. So I remember him saying, Galwash, Galwash. And like that name, just like that memory is so vivid for me. Like it brings, like give me shivers because I was like, I thought that was it. You know, like if, if that kid, I mean, he was always like kind of spacey and out of it. So he didn't really realize what was going on until I was past him. And it was such a relief to see that I had, you know, passed that moment because if, if, if Galwesh had caught me, it would have been really bad. Like it would have been just me, the, the kid that's chasing me and the other kid that's, that's holding me. And, and it would be, it would have been like two on one. And that's when I would have like gotten it bad. But luckily enough, I, I he wasn't able to get a response quickly enough. And so I passed and I remember going up to the roof and hiding on the roof for a while. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, going back to the less graceful or less heroic part of the story where at that point I was just like, okay, now that we've gotten revenge, our goal is to stay safe. And our goal is to, you know, like, don't, don't, don't cross the, the, the line, don't get into another fight, just escape. And, and like, yeah, distance was what uh, was there. And, and <laughs> the funny memory of it was that I remember sitting on the rooftop and his bus and mine used to be parked next to each other. I remember him holding down like about, you know, both buses. So all the buses had left and it was just both our buses that remained in the parking lot. And that little kid with spiky hair was like circling both our buses, holding like about, you know, 30 kids, two supervisors and two drivers against their will just because he was waiting for me. And I can imagine him being like, you know, like like little Don Corleone is like, no one's gonna move from the school until I find that kid, you know? <laughs> and I was like, and I just like, I thought it was, it was like someone, someone's gonna go and like tell him, you know, it's like a 13 year old, you know? It's like, someone's gonna tell him, no, you're mad, let's go home. And he actually like, his bus was the last one to leave. Like mine left before him. And then I remember like having to create even another story for my mom because I was then late and I went back like after school. So she thought I was, I got in trouble with school, but I was like, no, I wasn't in detention, but I had to like come up with another story around that. And, uh, but I, but I was like, I remember coming back to home, very feeling very different than I felt that uh, first day. I'm also just curious how a 13 year old is able to hold up an entire fleet of buses. Like who is this kid and, and how is he able to do this? It's, it's, it's eluding me right now, but. Even more interestingly, like what is he doing in life now? 
as a uh, <laughs> in his mid 30s i think uh i haven't seen him since like grade eight but i think if uh if we reconnect with him bringing him on the show would be a really interesting uh experience too maybe it's funny you mention that because just um, <laughs> there's a time for courage and a time for brains and it sounds like you were able to really engage both for your benefit i mean you are standing with us today many many decades later living to tell the tale and we're grateful for it um and just first of all i just want to thank you for you know for sharing this story i know for myself i've always hesitated to tell the the bully stories of my own having read a muscat story and then having you tell me your story which you then did you know in the in the last few weeks really helped me come to terms with my own experiences with bullies and have a chance to reflect on them. So first of all, thank you. And I'm, I could, I believe I could speak on behalf of others in the audience who are um, relating to this as well. So your world changed after the first incident and you responded to it in a certain way. Then things take a turn. You take sweet revenge on this guy and tell me about how your world changed then. What did this incident do for you? And where did it take you from there? Well, I think it was the it was one of the first times where I surprised myself, and it, and it wasn't the last. But I, I, I think it was one of those early moments where you realize you're not your brain, you know, you're not your thoughts, and that there's there's there are other dimensions to who you are. And I didn't think that I would be capable of that kind of powerful act it opened the channel <clears throat> from thinking that the world is unjust to realizing that the world is more of a power play that that there is like this exploration into what i'm capable of and what i can what i can do and and it was a change in my narrative without me even trying to to do that on purpose and without external help either that i was too afraid to ask it was like internal resources that I tapped into that changed my power over the situation. And that was a really important lesson because I could have been locked into the victimhood of this situation for a very long time. It was, it was certainly a sense of relief and a sense of empowerment afterwards. I'm, I'm curious what... Uh... What was your relationship with this kid after that? Having had that opportunity to wield your own power, what was it like interacting with this person on the days and years following? It's interesting you ask that. So, of course, you know, I go, I go back to school. And I think I was lucky enough for it to be like a Thursday in the end of the week. As, um, and so Friday, Saturday, and then we go back Sunday in Egypt. So... I think it had I had the this buffer which was nice and then I remember him like coming up to me in class and, and like threatening me the day we, we got back like he came up to me and he was like I'm gonna beat you up I'm gonna like fuck you up man and so the terror was back and I thought you know for a few days uh, there was like this tension of oh I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm going to get it, you know, I'm going to get it bad and I'm going to pay the price for what I did. And I remember like days passing and 
him not doing anything. And, um, and I also remember bribing him with like a, a chocolate, a, a half a chocolate bar that I had one day. <laughs> and I remember going up to him and I'm like, here, dude, like here's half a chocolate bar. And he was very happy with it. And, but I, and he was like, you know what? You gave me your chocolate bar, so I'm not going to beat, beat you up. And, and, and it was like, it was like the end. But, you know, like thinking of that now, and this is just occurring to me, I think there was a part of him that was definitely intimidated by me, but wasn't showing it. Because like after that revenge, there was like more of a, a balance in power. Uh, and I think he experienced the same shame because everyone saw him. I don't know if it was empathy or it was his shame or but he it was like it felt like more like a balanced relationship. And I felt like he saw me in a new way. He saw me in a way that is like, you know, someone that stands up to himself. So in some ways, he felt like the right thing was to beat me up for his street cred. But he never did. And then he he accepted this token of a chocolate uh, as as like, I think he was just as relieved as I was. So you mentioned the restoring of balance in there's a a power balance between uh, you and this kid, which leads me to a very difficult question, uh, which I think now is a perfect time to ask a difficult question. You're ruining the format, Paul. Ruining the format. Uh, Tough questions are in the beginning, and now (laughs) things are loose. It's time to hit with a hard one. (laughs) So, in in your mind, um, does revenge serve a purpose? Yeah, we'll start there. Does revenge serve a purpose? All right, friends, tune in next week when we dive deeper into the topic of revenge, why people do it, and what purpose it can serve. Or is revenge the only way to restore justice? So stay tuned, and we'll see you next time.